Guys, if you love amazing sound just as much as we do, then you really, really need to hear about the Q Acoustics Q Active 200. Yes, they are a pair of wireless, high-resolution loudspeakers that can play music from any source, be that your TV, your phone, your tablet, your laptop, or even your turntable. What's really special about them, however, other than the fact that they are utterly gorgeous, is that they are active speakers, meaning you don't need a clunky amplifier for studio sound because it already has one integrated. Literally, all you need is a plug. Yep, so as other high-quality speakers would be paired with a big amplifier that would leave so many cables trailing all over your living room floor, these speakers are the full package. They don't need any extra bits, it is all in one. It's why they look so sleek and so beautiful. I got mine in a matte black while Elle's did hers in matte white. I'm not joking when I say that they will upgrade any living room, particularly if you get the little stands to rest them on. They look very, very Scandi chic and I've got to be honest, it has blown my Sonos beam out of the water. So much so that I'm actually now giving it to my brother as a hand-me-down because I just don't need it. You've upgraded your life, hon. I have. My living room looks bougie AF right now, I'm not gonna lie. I cannot wait for my post-lockdown party, which I know I reference in every episode, but I think I'm gonna have to invite the neighbors up for this one because I don't think it's gonna be a quiet night with these. The sound is absolutely mega and so, so rich. There is widescreen sound, which basically means that no matter where you sit in the room, the sound quality will be exactly the same. Not only do the speakers also work with Siri and Google Hub, you can control them via any of your streaming apps, so friends can take control of the music whenever they fancy it or whenever you let them, maybe more appropriately. (laughs) To find out more about these amazing speakers, then head to www.qacoustics.com co.uk that is spelled the letter q and then acoustics and thank you so so much to our wonderful sponsor q acoustics hi guys and welcome back to straight up the chart-topping music podcast that gets the inside scoop on the industry from the people that know it best hosted by me kathleen johnston and my fellow journalist eleanor halls So this episode is hugely exciting because it features two music industry legends, none other than Sheik's co-founder and super producer Nar Rogers, who has worked with everyone from Bowie to Gaga, as well as his manager, Merck Mercuriadis, whose clients have also included Morrissey and Elton John. They were already one of the most powerful duos in the music industry, and now they truly are a force to be reckoned with, having worked together on their new music business, Hypnosis, which was launched on the stock market in 2018 and is this total industry disruptor. So you may have seen a few new stories last year about some of the world's biggest musicians selling their back catalogues, from Neil Young to Shakira. This is a super interesting trend that was kickstarted by Hypnosis, an investment and song management company that spent over 1.5 billion acquiring some of the biggest songs of the last few decades, from Adele set fire to the rain to Ed Sheeran's Castle on the Hill. In the same way that you need to know about crypto and NFTs, you really need to know about Hypnosis if you want to hold your own in the pub these days. It's a huge paradigm shifting game changer and is going to completely disrupt the whole music industry from the inside, making things much fairer for songwriters. Merck and Nile do a way better job of explaining this than we do, but those are the basics. It's honestly a completely fascinating chat for anyone who cares about music, whether or not you know much about business, which Kathleen and I definitely didn't until this chat. 100% and Nile and Merck also talk about the UK musicians they're loving right now and the rising star you should all be listening to, as well as their fondest memories of working together all the way back from the days of Chic with some really incredible life lessons that they've learned along the way. We are both huge fans of 
Niles, Ellie and I, we've seen him together quite a few times at various festivals. So to say this was a big honor is quite an understatement. Totally. Guys, enjoy the episode and please do rate, review and subscribe as it helps us in the charts. And big thanks as ever to Marlon Percy for the music and editing. Enjoy. Well, Niall, Merck, thank you so, so much for both coming on to Straight Up and being our guests. We are so, so privileged to have you here and we cannot wait to hear all about hypnosis and the incredible work that you guys have been doing. But we wanted to start by just going back to the very beginning because you two, of course, have a long professional and personal history. So Merck, Niall, tell us how you first met. Um, we just felt, you know, we became friends really through a love of music. You know, we obviously... You know, I, I bought the initial Chic records literally the moment they came out. And I, I tell this story now, now laughs, but you know, I, I bought Dance, Dance, Dance because I totally loved the instrumental of it. But I found myself really hating the yowza, yowza, yowza part. And, and, but yet I found myself going back to it over and over and over again because I loved the music so much. So, you know, I was literally a Chic fan from, from, from day one. Niall and I met somewhere along the way. And then we just became incredible friends because, you know, our entire relationship is based around a love of music. Like we constantly are talking about whether it, it could be Eric Dolphy or it could be talking about Robert Plant and Led Zeppelin, but we're constantly talking about music and what we listened to last night and what we're going to listen to tonight and, you know, those sorts of things. So it's, it's, it's based on, you know, the thing that saved both of our lives, which is wonderful songs and wonderful music. Hey, hey, Merck, I just want to let you know something. About an hour ago, I did an interview and they were asking me what was my favorite concert. And we were talking about Glastonbury and just in a flash, he was saying, well, what do I think concerts are gonna be like um, when we resume? Uh, I'm, I'm letting you know now that I'm actually gonna stop the band and have the entire crowd go, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> just, just for the fun of it. <laughs> to see if it works. <laughs> We've, Nile, Nile and I were talking yesterday about, you know, the possibility of concerts happening this year and, and playing some shows in England in, in uh, you know, maybe September. And we were, you know, we were stuck on, well, what are we going to do about the crowd rush, right? What's going to happen on, on good times when normally we have about 300 people on stage all dancing and, and, and rushing the stage? So I, I think in the end, we've decided that we're going to have lots of films of people that have been rushing the stage for the last 10 years. That's a very smart workaround. Can you imagine if, as you enter the stage, you're getting, you know, uh, uh, you know, cleanser put on, on, on your hands. Or right, whatever. right, right. <laughs> Sanitizer. By, by then, they'll, they would have developed an instant COVID test, I hope. Yes. Ooh, I, I hope. I hope so too. Well, it's it seems that some festivals are indeed going to go ahead. Reading and Leeds announced today in the UK. That's exciting. Yeah. So now, what's your first memory of Merck then? Um, it's interesting. My first memory is of us talking about um, video games. Um, he was um, obsessed at the time with Ninja Gaiden, and um, and and I. And I don't know why that's the thing that sticks out in my mind, Merck, because I kept thinking to myself, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, 
But this has got to be a pretty cool dude because that was a hard game. You know, back in the day, that was a relatively <laughs> hard game to get through. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's always been my first impression. And my second impression that, that I recall was going over to the sanctuary office and saying to myself, damn, this feels like a real record company. There were, you know, stacks of records up to the ceiling and everything was in disarray. But I always thought that when people have offices like that, somebody knows where everything is and it's in disarray because don't move it because that's where I put that thing. So it just made me feel really great when I walked up there and we were, we just had a blast right away. I learned when I, when I started, when I was still in my teens, I worked for Richard Branson's uh, version of Virgin Records and the offices were in a little muse off of, of, of Portobello Road called Vernon Yard. And this was the most chaos you've ever seen in your life. There was <laughs> shit everywhere. Right? But everyone knew where it was. Where it was, right? Right. If you said, oh, get, get me that Simple Minds cassette, <laughs> everyone, someone would know where it was. But Niall, for those, for those that don't know, Niall um, you know, did a lot of great video game scoring. So, you know, he was part of the team that did Halo and, and, and you know, Gears of War and, and lots of other really amazing stuff in the video game space. Um, so we love video games as, as not as much as we love music, but we love video games. <laughs> <laughs> so when you think about your relationship as artist and manager, as well as good friends, of course, what are some of the kind of most striking or fondest memories that stick out, I'm sure there are a thousands, but what comes to mind when you think about your well, your relationship professionally? Well, you know, the, the absolute truth of it is, is that we've never had a crossword. We've never right. even had an argument, like right. literally about anything. Wow. But, you know, one of the things that I think is, is, is really remarkable about Nile, it's certainly remarkable about Nile because it's not remarkable about me, unfortunately, is that, you know, he, he's, you know, he sees the positive in everything. And I, I, I often tell people that what makes him such a great producer is that you could literally come to him with a song and the song might be 90% awful and 10% great, but he somehow manages to focus on the 10% that's great and then works on making the rest of it great. And, and the same thing is true of, of, of the way that we tackle everything on, on, on a day-to-day basis, whether it's creative or whether it's business. He only sees the positive in it, and it's 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 a remarkable characteristic. I wish I had it. I wish everyone had it. But it it certainly makes our our, our you know our working relationship is very much like Sheik's music. It's joyous. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you say that because just yesterday, um, you know, I'm working with a really really big star right now, and uh, at the end of the yes, night, yes, you are. And the end of the night, she was um, having. I wouldn't call it a meltdown, but uh, she was really overthinking stuff. And I'm trying to get her to the place where she's just letting it flow, right? Because she's she's great. She's got a lot of big gigs going on. So she doesn't have to worry about money or making a living or anything like that. But she wants to to, um, make a record um, that defines how she feels now. And, uh, and, and, and she says, you know, I've tried to do this before, but I always come back to this. I always come back to that. And I said, you know what? <laughs> Let me tell you something. 
here's here's the thing is that when I'm working with someone, it's my job to help you see through that stuff. If you just have a wee bit of faith and know that I already know that you have all that stuff on your mind, if you could just relax and kick it away and and know that that I just will do everything in my power to not let you go there because it's crippling. I can't do it for myself, by the way, right? But when I'm doing it for other people, I find that I'm really good at it because um, as a fan and part of my job as a music producer is being a therapist as well as a cheerleader. I don't know if you have the word cheerleader in England, but... You know, like yeah, okay, okay, good. So I be so I'm I'm a super cheerleader, and and she's brilliant. She's amazing, and she's incredible, and blah blah blah. And it's like, so people who are amazing and incredible artistically come to that moment in their lives where they say, "I want to do this," and I try to tell her that that's exactly what David Bowie same said to me when we were doing Let's Dance. So you have David Bowie, big icon, and then he comes to me and says, I want to do this. And then I say, okay, great, David. I'm not going to let you get off that path. No matter what you come back and say to me, I'm going to say, the first thing you said to me the day we met was you wanted to do this and do that. Until we do that, I've not done my job. So yesterday, <laughs> when we finally ended the conversation, she says, okay, I think I'm cool. I think I'm cool. But if I call you tomorrow with a neurotic incident, it's okay. I said, don't, <laughs> don't, don't. I said, don't worry. Don't worry. Neurotic incidents are, are perfectly fine in our business. I, I expect you should give me another two or three dozen. But then it's going to come that day when we cut that song and you go, Wow, you're right. We did it. So we're still looking and it's no rush. We got it. it it'll be cool. So Noah, when you have those kind of moments of self-doubt, who do you t turn to? Is that did that tend to be Merv? Yeah, well, see that what's great now is that uh, I'm going through a similar thing where I'm working on a big project, maybe the biggest project of my life. And um meaning my own project and uh, <laughs> and Merck told someone the other day, he was having a phone call with a big record exec, and he said to the guy, he says, I think I'm about to have my first argument with Nihil. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, dear. I needed, I needed Nihil to uh, be patient and yeah. to stick... To stick to his ideal. In fact, it's almost exactly what Nile has just described, right? It was it was remind it was reminding him of what we agreed in the first place, right? And holding and, and holding his feet to the fire of what we agreed in the first place. <laughs> but I, I love know that. that. Yeah, go ahead, man. I was going to say that you know the the the, the interesting thing about um, what we do. And I, when I say what we do, it's 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 what we as humans do, as as opposed to Nile and I. Is that if you really analyze it, in fact, success is not that difficult, right? People from all walks of life are being successful every day, right? Because they've put their mind to something and they 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 get it done. What's really difficult is the success that you want, 
right? Because the, having the success that you want means that you have to be uncorruptible, that you have to stay really true to what it was that, 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 that you outlined for yourself and that you wanted for yourself in the first place. And, and what ends up happening is that people fear that that won't happen. Right, that 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 that, and, and they want they they want to whether they want to be famous or, or or whatever the case might be, they try to take shortcuts. Um, and my job as a manager really is to to ensure that you're not taking the shortcut if it's something that really really matters to you. Yes, well, the good life lessons for everyone beyond the music industry. There, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, <laughs> talking of not taking shortcuts and wise kind of business smarts, what were the conversations that you and Nile were having that led to the launch of Hypnosis? Now, I know, Nile, that you began as an advisor, but you're also a co-founder. So was the idea of Hypnosis kind of birthed as, as a pair or did it was it staggered in the sense of when you came on? It, it was a little bit staggered, but Merck was pretty much there right from the beginning. Well, you tell it, Merck, you. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, Niall was there from the beginning. He's the, the first person that I ever talked to about it was Niall. So he was there from the whether my thoughts were fully formed or not. He, he was there from the beginning. Um, you know, our, our discussions really were about the fact that the songwriter is the person who is delivering the most important part of an artist having success um, and having a hit. And of course, you know, it's it's the currency on which our our industry and, and in fact our world, I think, trades is, you know, the energy that comes from songs, these amazing songs that are part of, of, of the fabric of society. And yet the songwriter is the worst paid person in the equation, the the they're the bottom of the equation. And we wanted to figure out a way of of changing this. Um, and we knew that the only way that you could change this was through leverage. Um, and, you know, the idea was, well, how do we get the leverage to have a loud enough voice to be a catalyst for changing where the songwriter sits in the economic equation? And all of the levers were there to make this a great investment case. Um, unfortunately, the music industry had had 15 years of technological disruption between 2001 and 2016 when people could effectively consume music for free in the form of illegal downloading and that devastated the music industry only one good thing came out of it which is that it left these amazing songs at attractive prices at a point in time when streaming you know that technology had evolved into streaming so we were able to go to the biggest uh, institutional investors in the world and sit down with them and say, listen, here's there's a, a great investment case here. These songs are available at attractive prices. Streaming is going to grow. At the same time as streaming is going to grow, there are going to be efficiencies in the collections of these songs that are also going to add value. There's going to be a, an opportunity to do a better job of actively managing the songs by putting them in movies and TV commercials and video games and stuff. And that will also add value. Um, and we've got access to them because we've got relationships with the greatest songwriters in, 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 in the world. So when we started, there were 30 million paid subscribers to music streaming services. Today, there are 450 million subscribers. We now have a team of 80 people around the world that are managing our songs. We've invested 1.8, uh, well, sorry, 1.5 billion pounds in buying the greatest songs of all time from 
you know, Journeys Don't Stop Believing, which just became today the, the, the first song since Bohemian Rhapsody, the first catalog song to hit a billion streams on Spotify, the big, oh, biggest song of the wow. 1980s. But from Journeys Don't Stop Believing to Bernard Edwards' part of all of Niall's great songs to, you know, Neil Young, you know, so many, you know, wonderful artists, Lindsey Buckingham from Fleetwood Mac. And, you know, we've performed well. So, you know, we've outperformed the FTSE 250 by 40% since we started, by 21% in, 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 in the last year. And we've proven songs as an asset class that can give great dividends to, to our investors and at the same time give us the leverage to change where the songwriter sits in the economic equation. Guys, we just want to tell you very quickly about our incredible drink sponsor for this episode. It is the award-winning London Bar Eve, who we really were beyond excited to work with because we've both been the hugest fans since they opened in 2018. Yeah, it was actually the last bar I went to before the third lockdown kicked in and it's the first I'm returning to. I've already got my reservation in for May and my boyfriend and I always recommend Eve to people that are looking for that extra special date night spot in London. For those of you who haven't yet heard of Eve, it is the gorgeous basement bar under Adam Handling's Covent Garden restaurant, The Frog by Adam Handling, where the very same extraordinary attention to detail that has made his food so famous is applied to drinks. Inspired by its namesake, Eve, temptation, indulgence, and of course, hedonism takes center stage, and that is all the way to the bar snacks. All I'm gonna say is, just make sure you order the cheese donuts, my God. The cocktails are similarly out of this world, and don't just take my word for it, they won the cocktail list of the year at the 2019 National Restaurant Awards. One of my favorite cocktails there is the No X Nespresso, which is made from Grey Goose Vanilla, Hennessy VS, caramelized white chocolate, and coffee, and is 100% the best espresso martini I have ever had in my life. It really is so good and is also available to drink at home. Thanks to Eve's insane bottled cocktail offering, I have tried many a bottled cocktail delivery over this past year. And believe me when I say that Eve's is up there with the absolute best, just from the sheer quality of the cocktails themselves, which come in 500 ml bottles, perfect for sharing, to the gorgeous, gorgeous packaging. This sounds lame, I know, but even the box is super special and you can just tell how painstakingly thought through everything is. It's covered in these really sweet little illustrations and you do feel like you're literally receiving some kind of magical potions or like a package from Hogwarts or something. It really does add to the mysterious glamour and the bottles themselves are so slick they even come with tasting notes from Eve's bar team of mixologists as well as the espresso martini I am obsessed with the pandan old-fashioned and luckily as well as being able to order the cocktails individually you can get a fantastic party box of four which includes both of those as well as the heavenly lemon bonbon and Eve's excellent take on a Negroni. The bottle cocktails are available nationwide and can be ordered on the HAME section of the Adam Handling website, which is the Scottish word for home, and it's also where you'll find the next level restaurant food delivery options too, should you wanna go for the full at-home experience, which of course, we highly, highly recommend that you do. Thank you so much to Eve Bar, and as ever guys, please do drink responsibly. As again, this time here with some very exciting intel for anyone who plays the electric guitar. Yep, so for more than 60 years, the most influential artists in the world have relied on Vox amplifiers to deliver world-class tone in the finest studios and on the biggest stages around the globe. From the Beatles and the Rolling Stones to Brian May and Radiohead, sealing Vox's place as one of the core tonal pillars of rock music. 
But Box is not just about amps for professionals. Today's Box lineup covers everything from practice amps for the home and portable battery powered amps to electric guitars and basses. Perfect for musicians who are just starting out as well as those already in the studio. A brilliant Vox highlight, the brand new Vox Bobcat V90 and S66 semi-hollow body guitars, which are just ideal for music lovers after that classic retro vibe inspired by original 1960s Vox guitars. While they look beautifully retro, they're also kitted out with ultra-modern features and completely up to speed on the technical side. Better playability, controlled feedback and higher pickup performance. 2021 also sees Vox launch two new but very different series of headphones. There's the VGH series guitar amplifier headphones, which have a built-in guitar bass amp that brings you the enjoyment of playing at home, in the rehearsal studio or outdoors, just by plugging it into your guitar or bass guitar. The other new release is a VHQ1 smart noise cancelling headphones for guitarists. These provide stunning sound quality, outstanding noise cancelling and a hands-free calling. They also have a unique feature for practicing acoustic or electric guitar. With its powerful monitoring technology, the VHQ1 can pick up and isolate the frequencies of your guitar via its built-in microphones. Exactly. This sound will go to your headphones and be played free of noises and other impurities, leaving only what you want to hear. You can then feed an audio source through either Bluetooth or the wired input. This means you can practice and play along to backing tracks in a truly immersive way that has literally never been possible before. Connect with Vox at VoxAmps UK on Instagram, check out their website, VoxAmps.com, and do have a listen to their brand new Vox podcast, available on all of the usual platforms. Thank you so, so much to the wonderful Vox. So for you, Niall, was this a kind of attractive proposition as a songwriter, um, or just more generally as an artist? Like, what was it that engaged you straight away with yeah, this? Yeah, I idea. would have to say mainly as a songwriter because as uh, as an artist, uh, and when you say an artist, a songwriter is an artist, but but as an artist, you mean as a performing artist, I assume, is that what you're saying? Sure. Yeah, so as a performing artist, that, that um, mountain had been climbed a number of years ago because there's nothing that oversees uh, what the talent uh, can be paid. There's no, uh, there's no governor on, on that, um, you, you know, on that remuneration. It could be whatever you can negotiate. And if the promoter feels that that's a valid um, payment, you, you can do it. So the, the problem with, with um, songwriting is that there are other forces that govern it. You, in other words, when you're dealing with a, a concert ticket and you know a live performance, the promoter is paying you for a job that you're doing right there on the spot. And you can negotiate that price to whatever you want it to be. With, with something like um, uh, a performance, a, a record, a, a, you know, um, IP that uh, belongs to a company, so to speak, there are rules that govern what the suggested retail price should be and, and then all of the other things that correspond to those contracts all up and down the line. What Merck is really addressing and something that touched me is that when you think in terms of songwriters getting 
um, raises and songwriters being discussed as a group of people that are integral to this industry. Do you ever hear those? Do you ever hear those conversations come up? They never come up. We haven't had a raise mm -hmm. in almost a, a, a century. I mean, that's awful. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, the business is growing exponentially. And the one thing that I, uh, you know, I remember in the old days from, you know, math class and science class is that whenever you have extended periods of exponential growth, then what naturally precedes exponential growth in the world of mathematics is what they call explosive growth. And once something reaches explosive growth, Jesus Christ, I mean, what's going to happen? So if, if nothing has changed at the bottom and everybody else is going to experience explosive growth and the benefits that come along with explosive or even just exponential or even just a nice curve upward, the songwriter is still sitting there at the bottom. This is unfair. Everybody would recognize that it's unfair. Even the record companies that have those songwriters somewhat chained to these agreements that they know is unfair. They know it's unfair, but they um, are not motivated to change it. And when we put together hypnosis, we decided that the only way we could somehow start that conversation is by having leverage. And once we got to critical mass and we realized that we did have that leverage, those conversations are naturally going to happen because you will not be able to avoid it because they're going to say, well, hey, hypnosis is doing that. Why can't you do that? Hypnosis is doing that. Why mm -hmm. can't you do that? Hypnosis is doing that. And artists, we're a very small community, even though there's there's hundreds of thousands of us. But if you can, if you see our relationship with our artists, they know that it's a company for artists, by artists, with their greatest interest at heart. And pretty soon, uh, people will just naturally have to start to question, how are we being treated by others? If these guys are treating us like this, and it seems loving and wonderful, and they want us to get ahead, why do you guys not want us to get ahead? It's just, it, I mean, it's just natural that as the world changes, they should be in this conversation. It's a paradigm shift. You know, what Na was describing was, uh, you know, a, para a, a paradigm that's existed for the better part of a century. Um, and everyone has accepted it. And we made a decision to not accept it. We obviously had a motive with our investors, which was to make money for them. Um, and, you know, that is, 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 is coming true and, and being realized on a daily basis with greater levels of success. Um, and at the same time, we had an ulterior motive, you know, to use this leverage of these great songs and our financial wherewithal to be a catalyst for changing where the songwriter sits. And, you know, these are, are, are conversations that many people in the record industry don't want to hear because they're trying to hold on to this old paradigm. But, you know, the last time there was a paradigm shift was when we went from, you know, bricks and mortar stores in, in, as, as a general way of shopping to the Internet becoming a much, much more important part of our life. Mm. And those people went kicking and screaming from that as well. That's it's only, you know, 10 or 15 years ago when people were, were, were saying that the Internet was never going to catch on. Right. 
you know, so I, you know, I think that I, I think you can expect the same thing. This this paradigm is going to shift because at the end of the day, the people that are delivering the most important thing, the song, are the ones that are at the bottom end of the equation, and we have to change that. They they must be beneficiaries of this paradigm shift. Absolutely. Do you think historically that songwriters have been undervalued because it's indicative of how we kind of undervalue creativity in general? Because as you say, they're like the beating heart of any well, release. So, you know, the, the, there's also, you know, we talk about paradigm shifts. There's also a paradigm shift in creativity, right? So, you know, we had an era in the first two or three decades of recorded music between the you know 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, where you know outside songwriters were responsible for most songs but then the beatles come along in 1962 and between 1962 and you know the early 2000s 2005-2006 90 percent of the artists that were being signed were people that not only performed their songs but that wrote their songs as well and the you know, economic model of the business was, you know, you leave my live income alone so that I can go away and make all this money playing live. And at the end of the day, I'll let you get away with an awful lot of stuff um, when it comes to recorded music and, 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 and songs. And because it was the same person in general, or the same group of people in general that were getting the recorded music royalty and the, the song royalty, there wasn't a lot of, 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 of disparity because it was just one pot of money. Over the last 15 years, this business has become a lot more like the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, where you know 90% of the artists that are being signed are incredibly talented people, but they're reliant on outside songwriters for their songs. There, there hasn't been a Billboard Top 100 album of the year that didn't have an outside songwriter on it since 2014. So now that gulf between what the record company is getting and what the songwriter is getting is amplified and has a massive spotlight on it and doesn't reflect what the business is today. So do you feel, have you, have you had a sense of the kind of anxiety from record companies around what hypnosis is doing and how that's kind of making them change change the way they they've basically owned the music industry for the god knows how long. So, well, so, so let, let me that? chime in on this because yeah, I I please. know I know that Merck, um, Merck, uh, the thing I love about Merck is he can. Um, he 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 can uh, you know when they say if you can't take the heat get out of the kitchen. He, 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 <laughs> he, he can take the heat, but I know that it's somewhat exasperating because we know at the end of the day, and even the record labels know, I mean, honestly, these are all people that we've worked with all our lives. These are people that are friends we go to dinner with and we go on vacation. They, they yeah. know, in their hearts they know. Um, but it, it, it's, it's difficult for them to take a position because... Uh, what responsible business, what responsible CEO would have a meeting with their stockholders and say, you know, <laughs> in this great act of generosity, let's do this. The stockholders are going, what are you talking about? We want to make more. I mean, we've gotten, you yeah. know, in this um, 
uh, I, I'd say we've gotten in this atmosphere where it's really about the growth, the growth, the growth, the growth of earnings and earnings and earnings. And, and I understand that and I get it and I accept it. And, you know, we also knew that hypnosis had to be a highly profitable company, right? So, so that we'd have the stockholders that would, the shareholders that would back us, that would help us get to our, our, our help us achieve our end goal. But at, at, at the same time that Merck really gets all of this criticism, I think that that I mean I think that he knows, and I honestly think that the people, uh, and maybe this is the optimistic Nile. I think that the people know that this is a very noble cause. That this is a cause built on on not only reality um, and not just trying to be kind, but how about fair? just based on fairness. And everybody knows that this is a situation that is unfair. You know, if you think in terms of the way we get uh, paid right now, we, we're, you know, the way that our transactions are valued, a stream, they, they, com they compute a stream as a sale. And we all know it's not a sale. They should compute a stream as a license because a sale, right? When you get a when you have a sale, you take the product home and it belongs to you, right? I mean, you have a record that you. I mean, if I turn my camera around, you see <laughs> things that have been bought. You see an entire <laughs> library of things that have been bought. They do not have to go back ever, um, and and <laughs> and I do not have to get someone's permission to open those books. That's a legitimate sale. The, the thing that's interesting about a stream is that paying uh, the, the, the composers and the writers, uh, the composers, the arrangers, the producers, as if it's a sale, as if it's a one-time only event, is not right because you're paying them a smaller number because for a sale, it's a sale, it's one-time only, and there you go. A stream, however, a license, which is what it should be, would be a very different situation and you would get paid more for a license. So, so in a license you would, you would, you would be getting um, probably f three to four times as much as what you're getting for a sale. Um, and, mm. and, and, and some artists are getting paid on a license, but very, very few. Most artists are being paid on, on, on a sale. The, you know, the, the real, issue here in many ways is, is a say is, is a paradigm shift. No one, you know, no, people need to be kicked and dragged for the reasons that Nile mentioned. You can't go into your board and say, you know, I've decided to give, you know, a huge chunk of our money away to songwriters. Um, <laughs> but at some point you, you, you will go in and say, listen, you know what, the, the tide has shifted and the tide has shifted in the favor of songwriters. And, um, you know, we, we've, we've been preparing for it for a long time and now we're ready to make this change. And if you, if you look at, you know, there's a, a billboard cover out at the moment on hypnosis that has a photo of me on it and it says songwriters love them, publishers hate it. Right? <laughs> yes, I saw that. Yeah. And, and, 
you know, and at, 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 at the end of the day, as I say, it's it's people don't want to to lose hold of a paradigm that has been so favorable to them. But the truth of it is, is that we, you know, I keep using this word, but we're a catalyst for this change because we've brought this to the forefront and we keep pushing this agenda. And, you know, the UK Parliament has done a wonderful job through the, the you know, people like Julian White, Knight, I should say, um, and, 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 and Mr. Brennan, you know, MP Brennan, um, you know, if, of, of hearing uh, all the various submissions, and they've come to the exact same conclusions that we've come, I believe, which is that, you know, the record companies have to uh, shift their policies when it comes to the control that they have over their publishing companies. And ultimately, that will change how the songwriter is remunerated. Um, but those are the companies that are really going to bring the change. You know, if you look at someone like Sir Lucian Grange, who runs Universal, who's you know, arguably the most successful record executive of all time, quite rightly, because he's done great mm. work. You know, right now, his company is about to IPO, you know, it's, you know, later this year in Amsterdam. His job is to ensure that that IPO is the most successful that it can possibly be on behalf of his company. But once that happens, and Universal is well on its way to being what I think will be a 100 billion euro company, as opposed to the 33.5 billion euro company that it is today, it will be able to afford to do the right thing by songwriters. So he's gonna be in an amazing position where he can change his shift from being the hard-nosed business manager that you know, a businessman that is, is trying to do his best for his company to then also being able to do the best thing for songwriters. Now, that won't happen if you don't have someone like Merck and Nile pushing that change, because there's no reason for it to happen if someone hasn't pushed that change. But by pushing for that change, I think what you'll eventually see is that Universal, Warner and Sony will become the leaders in that change because they've got the most to gain out of it. And um, do you mind me asking, just to clarify, I'm pretty sure I understand it, but so for the artists themselves, of course, they get a payout when their songs are acquired, um, but the ki after that, that's like their fee sort of done, and then it makes money for the person who has bought or the company that has bought it. However, for the artist, what's massively beneficial beyond, of course, being paid is that they can trust you guys implicitly with their work and know that you're only going to place it in, you know, the correct... They, yeah, they know that... They know that yeah, they know that we understand the ethos on which they've built their careers, that we're going to make decisions that are commensurate with the decisions that they would have made. They know that we care, that we don't buy anyone's songs that we don't love, um, and that we've developed a team of people, you know, led by people like Ted Cockle, who was the president of Virgin EMI for many years and made it the number one record label in the UK. And Amy Thompson, who was a great artist manager, is our chief catalog officer. You know, the, 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 the musical pedigree of our company is literally second to none. Um, and artists know that, 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 you know, we're doing this not just for money, but to also change where they sit in the economic equation and also to enhance their legacy and protect it at the same time. So I suppose if we're being specific, maybe Noel, as um, 
as an artist, where would you, for instance, and speaking, I suppose, a bit on behalf of other of other artists, where would you feel uncomfortable having your music placed where you wouldn't, where you didn't have control over, and where 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 do you like to see your artist placed in terms of sync deals, and where is it where do you not like to see it? It would be interesting to understand where that line is. See, I'm a very different animal because I believe that. I am not the ultimate judge of art. One of my incredibly brilliant music teachers taught me a lesson that I'll never forget. Um, I had a big problem one night uh, because I had to play this song by the Archies called Sugar Sugar. And I was a jazz snob at the time. And I was like, going, oh man, tonight I gotta open my set with Sugar Sugar. And my teacher, uh, who's never had a hit record in his life, but was a musical genius. He said to me, um, Niall, why are you upset that you have to play Sugar Sugar? And I said, well, because it's a corny pop song and, you know, and it's lame and then and that. And he said to me, Niall, let me explain something to you. Uh, and, and you got to put this in context, because in those days when we sold records, if you were in the top 40, you were, that was a massive record. And he said to me, he said, now, you know, Sugar Sugar has been number one for about three weeks now. Um, so let me just get this straight. So all those people who bought Sugar Sugar, they're wrong. But you, Nile Rogers, <laughs> you are right. <laughs> and I sat there in my chair feeling like an idiot. And what he was trying to say to me is that, well, he actually said it in these exact words. I I, I, uh, crawl, I curled up into a little ball and he said, nah, let me explain something to you. Any record that's in the top 40 is a great composition. And I said, a great composition? What would make you say something so ridiculous and asinine as that? <laughs> you call Sugar Sugar? Precocious child that he was. I said, you call Sugar Sugar a great composition? And he says, absolutely. I said, why? He says, because it speaks to the souls of a million strangers. And I went, oh my God, what the hell does an artist want to do more than that? Speak to the souls of a million strangers, a million people you've never met. You want to touch their hearts with your art. Mm. So when it comes to me licensing my music, I say to myself, I want to give this new mind whatever whatever they're thinking because I, I don't want to have to sit there and grill them and say, well, exactly, how are you going to use my music? Good times doesn't go away just because a person takes it and does rapper's delight, right? So they wound up making something great. Um, you, you know, I I say to myself, an artist sees and hears and responds to things the way they respond to them. If they believe that something I've created can play a part in that collage, then mm. by all means, let them do it and let's see what happens. I'm never mm. gonna tell a person, I don't want you to do this. The The only time, I think since Merck has been with me, he's seen the only time that I refused a license was when someone wanted to use We Are Family and change the lyrics to something that I thought was inappropriate. Oh, um, and that's the only time I, I um, 
That's true. That I, that he's I never did. said no to anything. Um, yeah, I, but, extraordinary. But it's it's you know it's, in some ways, you know the what Nile has done as a songwriter as an and as an artist, and it's important to point out that that you know that Nile and Bernard did so much of this amazing work together. Bernard Edwards sadly no longer with us, um, but the work was so enormously successful, right? You know, so you know whether it's Everybody Dance, which is actually becoming a hit all over again right now with DJ Cedric <laughs> Gervais and, and, and Sandra Franklin. Franklin. Um, or whether it's, you know, yowza, 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 dance, 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 or, or, or whether it's, you know, Le, Le Freak is the most successful history ever, sorry, the most successful song ever in the history of Atlantic Records, one of the most storied record companies of, of, of all time. You know, good times, good times, and 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 uh, uh, you know, rappers delight together. Same thing. You know, upside down for Diana Ross. We are family for Sister Sledge. He's the greatest dancer. You know, I'm coming out. You can go out. You know, all day long. And but these these songs are so enormously successful that it's almost impossible to mess with them, right? You know, it's so so yeah. from that from that point of view, Niles. And I don't always agree with Nile, but I, but of course I support his his decision making every step of the way. I'm sure that if someone were you know I talk about it from the point of view of you know Neil Young that there'll never be a burger of gold, but you know but but yeah. <laughs> but but equally equally well you know if 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 someone tried to do the Good Times burger, I would probably argue with Nile about that. <laughs> hey, even Bruce Springsteen did his first uh, his first brand deal. He, finally, he did. So. He did indeed. <laughs> exactly. But it but it did but it did have a, a very important message in it about bringing people about bringing people together. So I think in 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 Bruce's case, you know, not dissimilar to Neil. I'm I'm sure that you know um, Bruce's is careful. We don't have a relationship with Bruce, but. We respect him obviously immensely as an artist, and I'm I'm sure he's as careful as, as Neil Young is with 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 the way that his music is used because it's you know easy to put uh, meaning into songs that was not the intended meaning. So for you guys, I know you've had some incredible, huge acquisitions, and I know that you might not want to play favorites, but I wondered who in particular has been really exciting for you guys. To bring on board for each of you. Well, I mean, there's so many, but you know, Neil Young obviously is a very, very special artist, and um, in many ways, I think defines what separates hypnosis from its competitors because everyone knows that Neil is very, very careful of you know with what he would do with his songs, um, that he would only choose very, very wisely in, you know, who's going to become the custodian of these amazing songs that he's written over the last 60 years. So I think it says a lot about hypnosis. It, it, it's, it's not just an acquisition of one of the greatest artist catalogs of all time, but it's also a, a stamp of approval, um, uh, you know, by one of the great artists of all time that I think then makes the due diligence much easier for other great artists. Fantastic. And Niall, yourself? Yeah, I, um, I would have to say I agree with Merck. Um, I personally um, have um, a, a lot of admiration for the artists that have come along with us. Um, 
one because I've also developed really good personal relationships with them. You know, it's that's that's been wonderful. But um, you know, on on a certain level, just as a business person, I have to understand what something represents. And Neil Young really does represent something that is not necessarily the same as a chic. You know what I mean? It's 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 you know it's different and. Um, and, and I get that and I respect that and I completely understand it. Um, you, you know, people, uh, think of, you know, my music or whatever is, you know, as happy music, feel good music and things like that, where is you have certain artists that, uh, that their careers are built on, uh, making a statement and changing society and, and, and Neil Young is certainly one of those. And and it really does stand for something. It is a level of respect. It's a level of, wow, they got, I mean, I'm going to put it in layperson's terms. Wow, they got Neil Young. They got Neil Young. <laughs> wow, yeah. like, how they pull that off? Um, and, and I think anybody in the music business would know you didn't pull it off with a check. Right. I mean, of course you had to pay him. I mean, you got to pay me. But, but <laughs> it was. But um, you, you pull that off with respect and integrity and and history. And this person says that the history that I've created, you're going to respect and maybe um, do something with that history in the future. Look, look, when my when my music teacher reprimanded me and said that um, Sugar Sugar spoke to the souls of a million strangers, I guarantee you, uh, when Neil started writing, the greatest gift that he ever received was speaking to the souls of people he had no idea who they were and touching people all around the world with his art. This is, this is what we live for. That's why you do it. Th- that's yeah, of course. And for him to say that I want to put my music that's touched so many souls into your hands to touch even more souls is a great honor for us. And on the other end of the spectrum, I wonder, you of course have these giants of industry, um, cultural icons, but um, Niall, you do a lot of work really nurturing and uplifting rising stars as well. I love your recent song with S.G. Lewis. think that's yeah. really really incredible and <laughs> I wondered whether you thought there might be a fo- focus in the future for hypnosis on the other end of the scale as we say to work with artists that are really in the infancy of their career rather than mm. people that well, really well, are Merck, heritage. Merck, well Merck really targeted a, a lot of uh, young writers and a lot of people who had big 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 hit records and uh, and, and he did that right away and, and and if you look at our catalog and you look at some of the uh, at some of the things that we've acquired, um, it's not just the Neil Youngs. I mean, it's some of the biggest records of the last few years. So um, he knew that right away. And uh, and I even said to him that you know, Merck, the great thing about my career, and I have to uh, assume the same thing that happened to me because I'm not special. The same thing that happened to me happened to these other people too. If somebody wrote a really big song like Desposito or something like that, you'd have to assume that probably on that album, there are a lot of other good records. 
I have never put out a hit record without it being part of a great album. If you go back to Madonna, you go back to Bowie, you go back to Sister Sledge, you go back to Diana Ross, you go anywhere you want, the B-52s, those are all great albums. It's just that Like a Virgin happened to become the single. You go, go to Daft Punk, Random Access Memories. We didn't think that, you know, that Get Lucky was going to be the absolute gigantic monster that it was, but it, because the album was so good. The album was so great. We just figured, okay, one great single after the next. But somehow, Get Lucky just dwarfed it, but it was a great album. So every single that, that, we've, that we've acquired, I believe that those catalogs are loaded with other great songs that just haven't had the, the same uh, exposure and opportunities and you could see it in my own life. Look at some of my records that were complete flops when they came out and they got second and third lives after time. Is there any song in particular that surprised you with having a second wind? What's been the most shocking to you to see? Oh, of course, come on, like Soup for One. I mean, that was, <laughs> that was a film, that was a film that closed at the box office in three days. And then you, you, go, you go a couple of decades later and uh, Mojo writes, Lady, hear me tonight. You know what I mean? It's like, wow. Well, it becomes a number one record all over the world. <laughs> Incredible. Talking of, uh, of songwriting, um, I think Elton John, I think it was God, 10 years ago now, said, you know, the state of modern songwriting isn't as good as it was. I think maybe 10 years on now, he would look at the state of kind of soundbite culture and writing songs for TikTok and, uh, you know, the atomization of songs on playlists and people writing specifically for that. He'd probably, his verdict would, might be even more damning. I wondered what you guys thought of the state of modern songwriting. I know, for instance, now you've said that the that uh, production has become more exciting in recent years. Um, but what about songwriting? What are your thoughts on where that is? Well, yeah, songwriting. Well, for me, as a songwriter, Merck. <laughs> <laughs> you got this one now. <laughs> is is actually. Um, a little more fun because I'm getting a, a, an opportunity to learn something that I didn't really know about before. See, Merck said something super important. I'm only in the music business because I was able to write songs for my band, right? I was one of those people who got signed because you wrote hit records and um, I didn't need outside songwriters. Now my life has changed where I'm working with outside songwriters and I just, I look at it as having bigger partnerships. I'll go into a record now with three, four, five people. Now, I don't have to do that, but for me, it's actually fun. I'm having a good mm. time. I, I meet people that, uh, I mean, S.G. Lewis is a great example. Um, you know, I'll walk into the room and maybe sometimes it's my experience <laughs> that <laughs> helps them get to the right record. Uh, same thing with Daft Punk, you know, experience came in and they had been working on something for eight years and I walked in and boom, cut to the chase. Look, um, I just did a record with a with an, a young artist named Harlow and she was uh, she was toiling and toiling and toiling over <coughs> the song. And I walked in and I said, Harlow, Jesus Christ, baby, you're overthinking. And she said, that's it. 
she changed the name of the <laughs> she changed the name of the song to Overthinking, and she got it to because ah. I'm overthinking, and yeah. it's overdrive, and it was just that one, <laughs> you know. So that's that's the kind of the re- relationship um, that I that I have with people now, and for me, it's fun. It, You're like it's a mentor complete, almost. Well, because the thing is, is that a songwriter's position is normally very solitary. I mean, you know, mm. you're sitting in a room by yourself uh, coming up with these ideas. And thank God I had a partner like Bernard Edwards to bounce them off of. But, you know, after Bernard passed away, I had to be both Bernard and Nile. That's a very difficult job to do. Mm. But, you know, I... So what were so you, you going <laughs> to say? Well, Bernard? you know, look, Elton never says anything unless he believes it. Right. And, and he's always coming from a place of, of loving music, first and foremost. We're, yeah. we're, we're all very, very similar in, in, in that way. But, you know, if you look at the hypnosis criteria of what we acquire, I actually think that it's, it's, it's in, very much in keeping with what Elton is talking about. So, you know, on the one hand, you know, the first criteria is that the songs have to be extraordinarily successful. Right. On, on the other hand, the songs have to be of cultural importance, right? So we're mm. talking about, you know, songs that really make an impact, artists that make an impact. So I think that, that Elton has a point in, in, in some of what he's saying. But equally well, I think when you look at artists like, you know, songwriters like Stara, like Andrew Watt, like Stefan Johnson, you know, people that have written everything from Senorita to Havana to you know, break my heart for Dua Lipa, et cetera. You know, these are incredible songwriters that are doing unbelievable work. You know, Ryan Tedder's work is, 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 is unbelievable. Um, so I think that Elton has a point, but I think that if you were to separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were, that you, that, that you end up with songwriters today, you know, like, you know, Pooh Bear, Jason Boyd, who writes all the great Justin Bieber stuff, you know, um, you know, these are, are songwriters that would have been incredible songwriters in any era. I guess it's what you're saying. Is it just quite difficult these days, considering how much we consume and so fast and how things are atomized, you know, albums are now split up, that things can't be as culturally significant as maybe they could be? Is that maybe, think, I mean, I think I read an article recently that was like, there's no longer like a song of the summer like there used to be. Like, oh, I, it's very difficult. I, yeah, I would disagree with that because I, I don't think, you know, this past summer, 2020, I think was a bit different because not really, you know, no one really had a summer. But, you know, if you go back to 20, if you go back to 2019, the song of the summer of 2019 was most definitely Senorita. And I think that that's a, that, mm. that's a song that will resonate forever with the, you know, the 14 year old boy or girl that had a crush on each other that summer. That song, that song's going to be with them for the rest, <laughs> you know, for the, for the rest of their lives. I think, I think that the, the issue is that obviously there's so much that's being thrown at us. You know, if you've got a Spotify or an Apple subscription, you could literally be spending the rest of your week just listening to New Music Friday and nothing else, right? And, 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 <laughs> yes. and, and sadly, not everything on it is going to be of the standard that, that, that you know, that's going to tickle your fancy. Um, but, you know, yeah. but I think that the stuff that does tickle your fancy at the end of the day, the stuff that is really meaningful, like, you know, Olivia Rodrigo right now with Driver's License, no one can say that's not a, that's not, that, no one can say that's not a great song. Right. And, right. and that, that song would have been a, that yeah. song would have been a smash 
the week that your song was a number one record, right? In you know, fifty years ago, as well as a smash today, as well as a smash fifty years from now. And that's that kind of ethos is at the heart of hypnosis, right? Because you're kind of arguing that songs are not affected by economic cycles. A great hit will only increase in value as time goes on, so there couldn't really be a safer bet. And I think maybe to finish, it would be interesting to look to the future. I was um, particularly, uh, well, fascinated actually by the quotes Merck you gave to the Telegraph about Peloton and um, the potential of, of albums being released exclusively to place to Peloton, for instance. And I wondered, Niall, as a as an artist, how you feel about that and where you see um, these new opportunities for artists in terms of you know companies i mean you'd never imagine for beyonce to be working with that with an exercise bike company really and uh yeah where do you think this could go could you release an album to peloton for instance um i could be coaxed Um, (laughs) (laughs) if the price was right well see here's something that's that's really important for people to understand when you're hired as an artist one of the most fun things to do, at least for me, is to help somebody else see their vision. Like, I get a kick out of that. When I'm writing solely for myself, um, I find that to be very, very difficult because I've led such an interesting life. I don't know some of the time when I'm writing, what do I want to concentrate on? Is there a story arc that I can encapsulate in an album? Because I'm still old school. I like, to me, an album is like a film. I want to tell one story, one big story, and and it's a holistic project. Um, but if I'm hired by somebody to do something, they give me a lot of input. And all of a sudden, when I have a lot of direction, things change for me and I feel like I'm working for them. And because I'm a record producer, um, I love the fact that I work for people. Every time I've done a record, I always say, and I really mean this from the bottom of my heart, that people have just allowed me to join their band. It may be temporary, (laughs) but but no, honestly, but when I'm working with Madonna, I just become another person in the band. You're and, just there for the sessions. Yeah, you know, I'm, they may call me the boss, but I don't think of myself as the boss. <laughs> I'm, I'm going, okay, yo, Mo, what are we doing? You know, like, uh, do you really think that song should be the one? Yeah, well, I really do. Well, you know, maybe there's another way to look at it. So I, 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 I like working for people with a concept, especially if they think that I'm the one that can help them actualize that concept. So, um, you know, if it, if it were something that I was uh, spiritually or morally against, um, I don't think I could make an album for the Ku Klux Klan or the Proud Boys necessarily. <laughs> but but, but we, we but, would definitely but, be arguing then. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know. I'm I'm such a wacky old school um, American guy and believing in free speech and all that kind of stuff. A person could sit down with me and maybe make me understand. Um, I, I tell people all the time when Daft Punk came to me 
with the idea of random access memories and they said they wanted to come to my house and play demos i <laughs> i'm being 100 percent honest i don't think that i had them play one demo they gave me the concept and i was like fine show me what tell me where to show up i don't need to hear any <laughs> i don't need to hear any music because i knew that that once i injected myself into their concept that i would help them make their music better and, and and that's not coming from an egotistical point of view that's coming from i want to help you i'm your helper you've hired me to help i'm ready to help let's go so to finish why don't both of you tell us i'm sure you both have your ear to the ground of course now you're working with young musicians all the time merc you're a manager you're trained to, f- to figure out the next star who should we be listening to i'll let Nara at the moment <laughs> <laughs> you want me to go first now no, I just said Star. Oh, Star. No, I got, listen. St- I I have three songs on a record, which are great. <laughs> for, okay. For those Brilliant. for those that don't know, Star wrote Havana for Camila Cabello, um, and she wrote uh, Girls Like You for Maroon Five, which is one of the most successful songs of all time. And she's making the most incredible solo album. It does everything that you'd want it to do. For me, it's one, actually one of Stara's co-writers on, on you know, now I'll mention Stara, I'll mention one of her co-writers on Havana, which was Andrew Watt, uh, who's, making, yeah. who's making an unbelievable album that has everyone from Justin Bieber to Miley Cyrus on it. You know, Watt has, has made the best records by Miley, the best records by Dua Lipa, the best records by Shawn Mendes and so many others for uh, the last few years. And at the same time, he's an unbelievable guitar player and a rocker at heart. Um, You know, the spirit of the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Ozzy Osbourne lives in him, but he expresses it through (laughs) pop songs. (laughs) Amazing. Brilliant. Brilliant recommendation. Well, thank you so much, both. We so appreciate you giving us your time and such a fascinating, fascinating interview. It's been really, really wonderful to hear all about everything you do. Yeah. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You guys have such a great energy as well. Lots of love, everyone. (laughs)